Hello, it's October 10 and this is On The Campaign, a daily podcast wrapping all the big stories from the election 2023 campaign trail. I'm Georgina Campbell and I'll be your host for this episode. Later, we'll be hearing about how two defections in the Hawke's Bay region could impact the electorate races there. But first, today has been all about working out what a death means for our next parliament. While there has been the usual final week of campaigning from politicians today, we're going to dedicate today's episode to sorting through quite a complex issue that very few of us were aware of just 24 hours ago. If you missed yesterday's episode, ACT Party candidate for the Port Waikato electorate, Neil Christensen, passed away over the weekend. Because of his death, no electorate result will be taken for the Port Waikato seat on Saturday night, Instead, a by-election will be held on November 25. However, when the results come in on Saturday, there will be at least 120 seats in Parliament. There will be 71 electorate MPs and 49 list MPs, but after the by-election next month, that will add a 121st seat to Parliament. Confused? Well, trust me, you are not alone. My producer and I have been racking our brains about this all day, which is why we caught up with lawyer and blogger Graham Edgler to discuss what it all means. The basic rule that New Zealand has for its elections and has had for a very long time is that if a candidate for an election dies after nominations have closed... Uh, and before voting has finished, so before 7pm on Saturday, the local election is cancelled. People in that electorate still get to vote, but they will only cast a party vote. Um, if they've already voted and they've already voted for a party and a candidate, um, they're going to count your party vote, but not your candidate vote. Uh, and then after the election result has been confirmed, there will be confirmation that the seat was not filled because one of the candidates died. And that will mean that there needs to be a by-election. So where does this rule come from? My understanding is that it's sort of left over from our first-past-the-post former system um, before MMP. Yes, yeah, it, it, this has been the law. Um, I'm, I haven't gone back 100 years to check, but um, this has been the law for a long time in New Zealand, and it was one of many bits of our uh, election law which was not changed when we went to MMP, although I think potentially could have and I would say should have been changed uh, because the electorate is what matters under first past the post. When you're under first past the post, it's it's not a general election. It's what you're really having is 80 elections and the 80 winners of those elections go to parliament and, and bear who determines it. And so what matters is how many individual elections has each party run and whom are you voting to be your local candidate, and that that was what mattered under First Past the Post and other similar systems. Under MMP, what's supposed to matter is the party vote. It's important for you locally who is representing you and in Parliament as your local MP, but it's not supposed to be important to the overall makeup of parties, you know, how many MPs National has versus Labour. You know, the number of MPs National has is supposed to be based in, on their party vote only. And it's just which MPs they have, say they win you know, 50 MPs, exactly which MPs they have is based on you know, which electorates they've won and, and based on their list. And the, the electorate winners sort of get moved up and, and then you fill the rest with, with people from the list. But it's not the, the winner of the electorate is not supposed to um, generally affect the actual numbers each party has, just which MPs they have and who represents you locally, which can be important for you locally, but shouldn't be important for the overall numbers of parliament. 
And you've advocated, I think, previously for this to be changed. I mean, where did you get with that? Did you get any traction? And do you think that the situation that we're facing this election with Port Waikato might uh, spur people into actually finally changing it? I think there is some prospect of changing it. Uh, there would be two possible changes that I think they could make, which I'll, I'll discuss. Um, I I first suggested it sort of informally, and I think I went back looking in 2011, and I made a, a submission to uh, a, a bill in Parliament in 2014 where I raised it, and I've done it a couple of times since as well. It's just this seems unnecessary. You know, we do we need the expense of a by-election when the candidate who has sadly died was a candidate who, if they did really well at this election, you know, might get five or six percent of the electorate vote, and. You know, they were there. It was an important role for them to play to, to push for act party votes from people voting in the electorate. But they were, I suspect, under no illusions that they were going to become the MP. Um, and you could imagine, say, even a, an MP or rather a candidate with even sort of uh, less likely to be elected, you know, an independent who's running to, to make a point, but realistically knows that, you know, the winner is going to be someone from National or Labour or someone from the Māori Party, if it's a Māori electorate or something like that. And if someone you know gets two hundred votes and the winner of the election won by five thousand votes, is the the reason you know that person who who sadly died got two hundred votes? Did that make a difference? And the answer would be no. And so my view in twenty eleven and twenty fourteen and since has been we should adopt the system that they use in the U.S. If a candidate dies um, after nominations have closed at a general election, you know, and people are going to be voting anyway, ask them to vote. Let everyone know if this person wins, if the if the candidate who has sadly died wins, then we'll get to the end result of the same thing would happen if an MP sadly died. You know, we have had over the last couple of terms, we've had members of parliament sadly die while while in office, and then you replace them. And if they're a list MP, next person on the list, and if they're an elected MP, you hold a by-election. So when Parakura Hotamir died, there was a by-election in the electorate he held. When it's a candidate you know, for an election, and we're holding a general election anyway, and people are going to be voting for the party vote, um, only hold the by-election if the candidate actually wins, which is the process that they use in, I'm not sure if it's every state, but generally in the United States. So can you explain then how this plays out in terms of the election um, that we do have, have on our hands? Like, what, what does this mean for the National Party? The presumption is that Andrew Bailey, that's the current MP for Port Waikato, uh, will run in the by-election. He's their current MP. He's running and was running in the, the local election then. Uh, it's the assumption is that he'll probably, he's uh, 15th, I think, on the national party list. If Andrew Bailey's 15th on the national party list, there's a very good chance he'll be elected as a list MP when, when the official results are announced. Then he'll run in the by-election. If he wins the by-election, what has historically happened would he'd resign as a list MP uh, and then he would become the electorate MP and the process when a list MP resigns, they get replaced by the next person on the list. And so that's happened a couple of times. Uh, Winston Peters in 2015 in Northland by-election and Jacinda Ardern in 2017 after David Shearer res retired from politics. She went on to uh, win the Mount Albert by-election, um, retired uh, as a list MP, which she was at the time, uh, and then became an electorate MP and uh, the list spot was filled. Um, I, but my reading of the act is that that doesn't happen automatically, is that so there was a process where the person actually had to go through the process of resigning as a list MP. As list MP resigns, you replace them. But uh, if uh, Winston Peters or Jacinda Ardern hadn't resigned as a list MP, they'd have swapped from one to the other without being replaced. 
And, and so that is technically a possibility here, although I can understand from the National Party's perspective, the assumption that um, Andrew Bailey is certainly a very good chance of winning the by-election, that National could pick up the extra seat. Why is it that it's, it works like that? Well, when you're working at, when you're counting the votes after the special votes, you know, on election night, each party gets a certain number of votes, and then you decide, well, with this percentage of, or with this number of votes, how many MPs should this party have out of 120? And you go through all the parties, every party that crosses the threshold, either winning an electorate or getting 5%, gets a certain number of seats out of 120. Which MPs those are, are you know, the first people on their list, but you take their electorate winners first. And when you subtract the electorate winners from 120, because there's one electorate which doesn't have a winner, uh, you're still going to have 120 MPs, because that's what the legislation says you do. Uh, and then you hold a by-election, and the winner of that becomes an MP as well. And because that seat hasn't been subtracted when we were doing uh, the vote calculation like it normally would, that will be a 121st MP. And there's also been talk about how Te Pāti Māori's election result could increase the size of parliament um, even further um, than this by-election issue. Can you ex just quickly explain how that could work and, and how that would affect National quite liking the idea of an extra MP? To work out the number of MPs a party is entitled, you first ask the question, did it cross one of the thresholds? If the answer to that is yes, then you put its uh, votes into a calculator uh, and work out how many seats out of 120 it should get. And so uh, at the last election, for example, after special votes were counted, the answer for the party Māori was two MPs. You know, they had 1.5% uh, of the votes somewhere around there, which is enough. They had one electorate MP, and so they got one listing. And so that's how you divide up their two MPs. Um, but if they did the same this election, so they get, you know, 1.5, 1.8%, which is enough for two MPs. But what happens if they win three electorates? All those electorates still have to have their MPs, but they've only won enough party votes that overall should give them two MPs, which is list MPs plus electorate MPs should be two. Um, but they've won three electorates. What happens, and it's happened a couple of times, the Party Māori's done, caused it a couple of times. Peter Dunn with the United Party uh, caused it once, where the party did not earn enough party votes overall. The overall number of MPs it, it should fairly have based on the party vote in Parliament was lower than the number of electorates it won. And when that happens, the size of Parliament is increased by the number of extra MPs that party has, so that the number of list seats that the other parties get is still what they fairly should have had out of 120 seats. And so um, we've had uh, one or two MPs at various times. Uh, the largest parliament we've had from this, I think, was 122 MPs, where the overhang, what's called the overhang, was two MPs as a result of uh, a party or parties uh, having more electorates won than their overall party vote said they should have in MPs. And when that happens, you increase the size of parliament. Thanks to Graham for his analysis. We also checked in with New Zealand Herald Head of Data, Chris Knox, to explain how exactly seats are calculated. We have a, an MMP system in New Zealand, uh, and what that means is that the party vote determines what proportion of the number of seats there should be in Parliament. But the, the, the reality is that we can't have three quarters of a Labour politician. There's a whole lot of scenarios whereby true proportionality would involve 
you know, fractions of an MP. Uh, and I don't think any MPs are volunteering to be turned into fractions. <laughs> uh, and so so there's a, a formula that's used around the world uh, in, in MMP parliaments uh, and the New Zealand Electoral Commission's just adopted that same formula when we moved into um, MMP and it has a way, it can calculate how many, you know, given your votes, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have a 10-seat parliament or a 500-seat parliament, it'll calculate what the proportionality should be. That method is called the Santa Lagu algorithm. I bet a few of you knew that term before, but if you're like my producer, you'll be saying Santa Lagu all day now. Chris also told us just how intense that overhang element of an election could be. What could happen is if for some reason a party won a lot of electorates and essentially and didn't win any party vote, then those people who won their electorates have to be in parliament. Uh, and so if party won, say, seven electorates and had 0% of the party vote, then we would have to have seven extra seats uh, in parliament to accommodate that. So that would give us 127 seats. Uh, and obviously one completely theoretical <laughs> example of this is if Te Party Māori and Labour came to an agreement... Uh, they could tell their supporters to electorate vote to Party Māori and not party vote to Party Māori at all, which would result in Te Party Māori potentially winning all seven Māori electorate seats but not getting any of the party vote. The key takeaway here is place your bets on a potential 122-seat parliament after Saturday night not 120. As Graham told me at the end of our chat, there are leftover seats in Parliament anyway. 122, exactly, actually, according to my producer's interpretation of the seating plan on Parliament's website, plus a 123rd seat for the Speaker. So we may need to update our graphics. While you get your heads around some wild electoral law, we'll take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. back to On The Campaign. For our electorate spotlight today, we're heading to the east coast of the North Island. While not normally a particularly competitive region of the electorate, we all know how badly hit the Hawke's Bay and Gisborne regions were by Cyclone Gabrielle this year. The woes carried on in the months after when both government ministers representing the areas left Cabinet for very different reasons, leaving behind some holes that needed to be filled. For more on this, I'll hand over now to Hawke's Bay Today editor Chris Hyde to explain the situation in the Napier and Ikaroa Rafati electorates. The existing MP was Stuart Nash. He held the seat for, I think, three consecutive terms, and then he resigned earlier this year. And that meant that a by-election couldn't be forced at that time, so he was able to continue through until the election. Mark Hutchinson is Stuart Nash's replacement. He worked out of Grant Robertson's office for a while, I believe, and was also a part of um, Stuart Nash's team at, at one point. So he's he stepped up. He um, has a psychology background, which is quite interesting for a politician. Um, and then there's Katie Nimmin. She's the national candidate um, for Napier. She ran against Stuart Nash last time and was about 5,000 votes short of beating him. Um, she has a long history in Hawke's Bay with the Nimmin Bus Company, um, which is founded by her family. I believe she's 32 or 33 years old, so relatively young um, national candidate. There's 
five other candidates. It's quite hard to separate the other five, although John Smith is an interesting one as um, he's the only independent candidate to ever run for the Napier seat. Obviously, Cyclone Gabriel is a big part of every Hawke's Bay electorate this time. We've also had issues um, around the Hawke's Bay Expressway and roading in general. Both Mark Hutchinson and Katie Nimmin are promising to make the Hawke's Bay Expressway four lanes. So that's a, a bit of a coup for the region. There's also a lot of talk around Probably the hospital is the big thing. Um, Napier doesn't have a hospital um, and there's talk of potentially movement on a new Hawke's Bay hospital. And so what what does that mean for Napier? When it comes to the cyclone recovery, I think you'll find that with every natural disaster in New Zealand, be it earthquake or cyclone or fire or anything like that, the incumbent government often takes a lot of stick from people because they're the ones that are making the decisions. Um, you certainly saw that with Key and, and Brownlee down in Christchurch, um, and you, you'll see it up here as well. I don't think there's antagonism towards Nash as such. No, there certainly hasn't been significant amounts of it, although there's, there's definitely a prevailing sense that there was a, a slight vacuum in political leadership as a result of a lot of movement around Hawke's Bay politicians following the cyclone. Yeah. I think Napier has always been a bit of a bellwether electorate, and I don't know if having one or the other will have a significant impact on daily life in, in the electorate, but it it would signal a, a change in an attitude in the same way that um, the rest of the country appears based on the polls to be, to be feeling it at the moment as well. The other electorate in Hawke's Bay that's seen some significant movement in the past six months would be Ikararafiti. Obviously, the sitting MP for Ikararafiti is Mika Faitari, and she moved across from Labour, where she sat in the seat for 10 years. She won it in a by-election in 2013, so she, she was in the seat for 10 years, um, and now she's shifted across to Te Pāti Māori um, and is trying to retain the seat in some ways in her new party. That caused a lot of national attention, obviously, when that happened. It was a political earthquake in many ways um, for the Māori community here, and it is a fascinating seat to watch this election as a result. So Labour has Kushla Tanairi Manuel and Vision New Zealand has put up Ata Tuhakaraina. Obviously Kushla, she's almost the favourite now. A poll from Fakata Māori put her in front of Mika um, with a significant number of undecideds still to come. Ata, it's his first uh, crack at politics. He did it last minute, um, but he's he's putting the, the word out there for Vision New Zealand. So Labour has held this seat or held kind of this area, this rohi, uh, before it was even a seat for most of the last 100 years. Um, it is a Labour stronghold and that perhaps is reflected in early voting. Um, however, obviously, Mika is a very well-known candidate. Um, and so a lot of that debate is around um, what is best for the Karoa Rafiri rohi. Um, there's a contention that Mika Faitari, based on polling at the moment, may be able to squeak in even without winning the Karawafri seat. And so therefore, is it better to vote for Kushla so that the Karawafri area, which is huge, it, it, it goes from right up the top of the East Coast down to, I think it's Lower Hutt, uh, Wainui Mata. Um, and so would it be better for the community to have two representatives in Parliament from the Karawafri? Um, is is one of the debates. The other is obviously around who is is best placed to deal with 
issues around um, things like housing, you know, hundreds of, of Māori families in emergency housing, crime and, and gangs is another significant one. And even just the recovery from Cyclone Gabriel, the Māori community out at Amahu and Wairoa in the East Coast were all disproportionately affected compared to uh, Pākehā communities. And, and so it, it is a huge talking point. Obviously, the more power that Pāti Māori has, the more interesting Parliament will become um, and, the, and the next election and negotiations will become. It has been a long time since it's had significant power in Parliament and it's looking like it, it could have more this time around. If Labour were to win, you would expect that it would be a, a, a real blow for Mikafaitri as an individual, I think, and it would be a, a real boost to, to Labour because they, as soon as Mika defected, they would have felt that that seat was vulnerable for them. Um, and, and to regain it, despite the strength of the challenge from her, it would make them feel really good about the future of that seat for themselves. Thanks to Chris for his insights. Tomorrow, Christopher Luxon will be in the wider Wellington region, heading up to Napier, while Chris Hipkins will be in Christchurch. And you can catch both of them in the PM Job interview series from The Herald, live at nzherald.co.nz from 5am. In the meantime, this has been On The Campaign. You can follow this podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. For more election 2023 coverage, head to nzherald.co.nz. I'm Georgina Campbell and we'll catch you again tomorrow.